So I have a question for you this morning, and we're going to make this interactive. So if you had a personal servant, what would you have him or her do? Dishes. Dishes? Awesome. Laundry? Uh, anyway, I would, have it, I would have him walk around the house and pick up shoes. Like that would be part of the job. We have a lot of shoes in our house. Who else? What would you have? A personal assistant, personal servant in your home? Clean the bathrooms. Clean the bathrooms. Yeah, nobody wants to do that. That's a job. Anything else? Like cooking? Yeah? Okay. Um, picking up dog poop? Oh, wait, that's what kids are for. Sorry. Uh, we, who, who needs servants when you have kids? Excellent. Well, I, I, uh, if you read the e- weekly email that we sent out this week, I, I confess that uh, I, I do watch Downton Abbey. And uh, th- this happened because uh, my wife said that she was tired of me picking the shows that we watched together. And rightfully so. I, I, I do tend to do that. So, so she said uh, she picked this one. And when I saw this, I was kind of like, really? You're going to make me watch this but in good spirits, I decided, okay, I'm in, and I am all in. I'm telling you, like, I like the show. I'm sucked into the story. If you don't know about Downton Abbey, it's basically thinking uh, 1912 to 1920, uh, England. There's the aristocracy, and kind of you're watching it disappear as you're watching the show. So it's this huge uh, estate with servants and, you know, an aristocratic family, and, and you just are sucked into all this. But I was thinking as I'm watching it, that about the levels of, of society that exist in this home. Because for one, on one end, you have a, a family that is like, this is their estate, and they're wealthy, and they have all these servants. On the other hand, even within the servants, I mean, they have like multiple servants for every person that lives there. And, and even within the servants, there's high servants and low servants. There's, there's, there's jobs that nobody wants to do that get shoved off on the lowest person. No one dreams about being a servant. That's why I've noticed this. Like even as you watch this or, you know, what is your dream in life, Billy? Well, when I grow up, I want to be a servant. I mean, that would be great. Nobody dreams about being a servant. And yet Jesus says something interesting about this. Because see, Jesus does this thing where he turns stuff upside down. He turns the things we think about and he flips them upside down. He said, if you want to be great, you should want to be a servant. Sometimes if we know our Bible and we, we read, read Matthew 12, you just kind of read over that and go, oh yeah, Jesus said that. But think about that. Who wants to be a servant? You should be a servant, Jesus said, because Jesus wants his followers to give their lives away. Did you know that Jesus wants you to give your life away? If we embrace that kind of life that Jesus lived and love others with his affection, then it's natural that we should give our lives away just as Jesus did. So we're in Vision Month right now, and, uh, and, and next week is sort of the culmination of this. We've been uh, plowing through from the end of September all the way through October. And, uh, and what we're doing is we've un- unveiled this vision that the vision team and our elders have worked on together, bringing people together to live like Jesus, love like Jesus, and give like Jesus. And, and we talked about bringing t- people together, how God has called us as a church relationally to equip and change, uh, transform each other through God's word. But then we're also bringing people together out from outside of our body. It's like strengthen each other and then go get the world. And we talked about what it means to live like Jesus and how we're emulating the life of Christ and how important this is. And, and then last week we talked about loving Jesus, about his 
with loving like he did, with action, but with also, also with our affections. And we focused last week on these affections, having a heart like Jesus had. Now today we're talking about the last of, of these three things, bringing people together to live love and give like Jesus. Love in action means giving our lives away. Give like Jesus. Now, as a disclaimer, I'd like to confess that I understand that many of you walked in uh, through, through the, the walkways and, and on, especially over the last month and looked at those signs and you said, live like Jesus, love like Jesus. And then that last one, give like Jesus. And the first thing that came to mind to you probably was uh, money. Like they're going to twist my arm today to get my money. And so, uh, and, and I get it, people, you know, we're tired of people asking for money, and, and I understand that. So I'm happy to say that we're not asking for your wallet today, if only it were that simple. Jesus doesn't just want your wallet, he wants your whole life. That is what it means to give like Jesus. It's not just our wallets, it's our whole lives. Jesus wants you to give your life away. And he tells us right up front, he wants you to be a follower. He wants you to be a follower, and that's going to take your whole life. Isn't that fascinating? I love that Jesus does this right up front. He says things like, if you want to be great, (laughs) you got to give your life away. I I, I like that. I tend to soft-pedal things, you know? Like, I tend to just kind of say, oh, you know, it's not that hard if I'm asking someone to do something, you know, or, you know, if you, you could do this and it would help us and it won't take that much time and you'd be great and be super easy. Would you do this for us? I love that Jesus doesn't soft battle it. He just goes, you want to be my follower? It takes all of you. All right, well, how do we do this? How do we do that? How do we give our lives away? Do we die? I mean, it, it makes me think of the Philippines. Every year at Easter, you, you hear about this. And here's a picture from, from the Philippines. They, they recruit some volunteers to be crucified. They actually put these people on a, a wooden platform on the cross. They stand there and they actually put nails through their hands. And then they leave them there for a little bit. And then they take them down and they send them to the ER. And they actually do this in the Philippines. Is this how, what it means to give our lives away? Is this how we die like Jesus did? Look at this quote directly from Jesus from the passage today. Let's see what he meant. Matthew chapter 20, verse 28. It's in the text right in front of you. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. We need to look at the context of verse verse to understand what Jesus is talking about. If we too are going to learn to give our whole life away. So in, in the context, you need to understand, we, we start in verse 20, and Carrie did a great job of reading. Uh, verse 20, we start, and, and we see that the mother of Zebedee's son came to Jesus with her sons. Now, okay, so James and John were two of Jesus' disciples, and they were also Jesus' cousins, and, and which is fascinating that Jesus has family in his inner twelve. I don't think any of us would be brave enough to do that. And, but he's got his cousins there. Now, um, so... Most likely, Mary's sister, Salome, married Zebedee and had James and John. And, and that's how these are related to Jesus, these guys. And so it's not as if this stranger, this woman, is just a total stranger coming up to Jesus. 
She knows Jesus. She has a relationship with Jesus. She watched Jesus grow up from the time he was a little boy. And she comes kneeling down to him and she says, hey, Jesus, can I ask a favor? And you know, like, a favor to ask of you. And she and I, I can imagine her putting on her her nicest face and trying to figure out how she's going to can couch this in the nicest, kindest language ever. And, and so she says, I've got a favor to ask. And she says, and, and so Jesus says in verse 21, well, okay, what is it? Look at verse 21. What is it you want? He asks. And she says, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right hand and the other at your left in the kingdom. Okay, so to understand what she's asking for, we need to, again, think in context. Always when we interpret the Bible, we think in context. We think in context. We think of the immediate context, and we think of the, the surrounding text around. What just happened? Well, in Matthew 19, 28, um, Doug, you can throw that verse up there. Jesus had said this. He said, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne. Okay, so Jesus is referring to himself from the Son of Man's reference from Daniel. And Jesus refers to himself classically as the Son of Man. When the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me, his disciples, will sit on 12 thrones. Okay, he's got 12 disciples. 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And I think in chapter 19, when the disciples heard this, they went, sweet! You know, like... It's going to pay off. I mean, we, we've done this hard work and we've followed him and we've given up so much and people hate us. And, and you know, it's like, sweet, we're going to get a position of power. We get repaid. And you have to understand that James and John, the wheels started turning. Well, we don't want to just be on one of 12 thrones. We want to be like the number one and two. We want to be the, the right and the left in that culture, right and left, the most important people in a royal court sat right around the king. So they're like, we don't want your position, Jesus. No, you're on the throne. That's great. We like it. Good pick. We don't, we're not asking for that. We just want to be the best of the, like the, like of the, we want the best seats. <laughs> Jesus looks right at her, but not at her. Look what he says. I love this. Verse 22, Jesus, he goes, you don't know what you're asking. I, I love it. In, in the original language, the you there is plural. So you both, wait, there's only one woman coming to Jesus. <laughs> And he looks at, he's not looking at the woman. He's looking right at James and John at this point. He goes, I know what you did. You put your mother up to this, right? She's like, your mother is only here because this is what you want. And I love that Jesus just gets right to it. He looks right at James and John and says, listen, you both, you two, you don't know what you're asking. You asked your mother to do the dirty work, but you don't even know what you're getting into. And so verse 22, Jesus says, can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? Can we immediately go, okay, drink the cup, walk the path. He's talking about the cross. Okay, I get it. But remember, the disciples didn't really understand that Jesus was going to be crucified yet here at this point. And so they're just jumping in and saying yes to whatever because they want position one and position two. And they don't care what order. They just they want those ones. But it's so fascinating what Jesus said. And that's why I love every word of Scripture is so important. What Jesus is doing is everything Jesus says, we have to interpret in the light of the Old Testament. Jesus was a Jew who knew his Old Testament well. And the, the, the funny thing about what Jesus says here is he says, can you drink the cup? We don't talk like that, do we? Can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? Like, gross, that's like bacteria and stuff. No, that's not what he's saying. We don't talk like this. Jesus is making a reference to Jeremiah chapter 25, 
verse 15 to 29. And where Jeremiah the prophet, God speaking through him, God says to, to, to the people of Israel that the cup of God's wrath is coming. That's what Jeremiah calls it. He's calling about, talking about God's discipline. And he's saying the cup of God's wrath is coming upon the whole world. So when Jesus says, can you drink the cup that I'm going to drink? Jesus is referring to the, the idea that what he's going to do is he's going to die and he's going to take upon himself the wrath of God for the entire world. Can you walk that path with me? You think you gave up everything Jesus is saying to them? You have no, no idea. Well, James and John go, oh, okay. Verse 23, they say to him, they, they, verse 22, they say, we can do that. And then Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup. But to sit, and, and by the way, what Jesus is referring to there, I think, uh, is that, that these guys are going to die for Jesus. In fact, if you, if you look at Scripture, uh, you, you realize that, that uh, James and John were the first and the last uh, disciples to die. James died in Acts chapter 12. He was, he was assassinated, basically. He was killed by Herod. And then later on, John would become the last disciple, first and the last to die for Christ. So Jesus is saying, you will, you will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. You think you gave up everything? You have no idea. You'll give your whole life. Now, I love what happens next. Verse 24. Okay, so the other disciples are sitting around seeing this whole thing unfold, right? And it occurs to them, wait a second, what about us? Like we, we a, a chapter ago, we were just happy that we were going to be on one of the 12, but wait a minute. You guys want to be on number one and two? Like they're in, it says they're indignant. They're ticked off. <laughs> when the 10 heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. They were mad. They started to squabble over it. You know, I imagine a little wrestling match here where like something out of the Three Stooges, you know, like, like there's this kind of disciple fighting going on and, and they're arguing. They're like, no, I'm going to be number one. No, I'm going to be number one. And, and they're like, how come you get to be number one and two? I want to be number one and two. And there's this little fight going on. And I imagine Jesus, you know, slamming the gavel down or yelling, hey guys, stop. Time out. Verse 25. Jesus called them together and said, you know, the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and the high officials exercised their authority. See, what Jesus is saying is, the way you're talking reminds me of something else. It reminds me of the Romans. Now, you have to understand, Jews didn't like Romans because Rome had come in to first century Palestine. They'd come into to Israel. They'd come into that place and the Rome had taken over and, and the Romans were brutal. There was a brutal authority structure in, in the Roman uh, world. You know, it starts at the top with Caesar and it works down through all the different soldiers in the army, the levels of authority, the rulers. And there was sort of this jealousy and envy. There was always a watch your back kind of mentality in the Romans. They were heavy handed. <laughs> Roman leaders often liked to just uh, just do things just to show off. Like uh, one of the, Rome, the Romans uh, quelched a rebellion when they did that. They crucified. That was the, the whole reason for crucifixion. It was to show how heavy-handed they were. 
And they, they, at one point, they lined a road with crosses. So those people would walk along, they'd look up at a man dying on a cross on the side of the road. So you would be reminded who was in charge. This is the authority structure the Romans put. And everyone was climbing the ladder, trying to get to the top. And Jesus reminds them, disciples, you're falling into the same trap. You're saying, who doesn't want power, prestige, and authority? It's like king of the mountain. When, we, when I was a kid, we, on the playground, there was one spot in the playground where the, the, the truck would always pile all the snow, and, you know, and it would get like all hard and it black crusty stuff on it, and at recess, we'd play king of the mountain on ice. I don't think they'd allow us to do that today, but, you know, like, we, everyone has to have a bike helmet on to do it. Anyway, so we get, you know, climb the mountain, and we're just throwing, the, and, you know, the strongest, biggest kid always stood on top of the mountain. And I stood at the bottom looking up at him, you know, as a reminder. Uh, it's like that. And that's the way the world works. Jesus says, I got a different plan for you. That's how Jesus does this. He just inverts things. Verse 26, not so with you. Don't play king of the hill. Whoever wants to be great among you should walk to the bottom. Be a servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. There's two words here that are really interesting. Anyone who wants, if you want to be a servant, that's the first word. It's the Greek word diakonos. We get the word deacon from it. Uh, it's the idea, a, a servant is not a position of power or prestige. It's a lowly position. That's a diakonos. Then the word slave it's an offensive word, and rightfully so. It's the word doulos. People who weren't important, who had no value other than whatever it cost to purchase them. If you want to be great, be a servant or a slave. Now, is it wrong to desire greatness? That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus says, if you want to be great, here's what you do. Too many Christians are stuck in mediocrity. We have the wrong view of humility. We have the Eeyore mentality. Oh, well, nothing good can happen to me, and I'll just be stuck. And It's not wrong to desire greatness. Jesus says, if anyone wants to be great, here's how you do it. I love that. It's not Eeyore at all. In the kingdom of Jesus, greatness comes through emulating Christ. Greatness comes through walking to the bottom of the hill. Now, why would we do this? Why would someone be a servant or a slave? Well, verse 28, here's why. Because the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. The kingdom works backwards. It works upside down. Jesus didn't come to be served. He's the God of the universe. He deserved to be served. I mean, if the Romans had their hierarchy and Caesar was at the top, Jesus was at the top of Caesar. I mean, if you understand hierarchy, Jesus was at the top. But Jesus flipped it on its head and he said, God at the top came to the bottom to serve. Because he's the son of man, the one Daniel predicted. He deserved royalty, but from the manger he took humility. He was a servant and a slave. He didn't come to be served, he came to serve. And give his life as a ransom. Oh, that word ransom is such a cool word. 
It is such an awesome word. The word ransom means, it means it's the price of release for someone under control of another. We think of ransom as a kidnap, right? You know, well, and it works. that Someone gets kidnapped and there's a ransom for them because they're under the control of the person that kidnapped them. But in Jesus' day, that word ransom specifically applied to the word doulos, slave. It's the price to buy a slave. Do you see, do you get this? Jesus came and became a slave, became a servant to buy the freedom of all of us slaves and servants. We who were held. Jesus gave his life away that way. You want to be great? Give your life away like Jesus did. Well, how do we do this? How do we give our lives away? <laughs> Man, I, mean, I could just talk for years on this. How do we give our lives away? How do we do this? I, I threw together six ideas and and there, some of these are flowing right out of the text, and, and there's more. Like, you guys could write, we could just have a brainstorming session, and you could write about 100 more of these things. But here's just six that came to my mind as I was studying the text. How do we give our lives away? First of all, we remember reward. Like I said earlier, reward's a good thing. If anyone wants to be great. So it's not just wrong to desire greatness, and it's not a bad thing. We need to pursue reward. We're sending ahead. Like, the the kingdom is coming. It's here. We're helping break the kingdom into this world. Jesus said this. And so we're sending it ahead. And it's not wrong to desire greatness. We just have to remember how to do it. Remember that reward. Second thing we need to do. Second thing we need to do is remember the least. We remember the least. Um, there is a continuing theme in Scripture that... We don't give our lives away to the people from whom we can benefit. I mean, it's easy to look around and see people in our lives that we're like, hey, I could benefit from that person. You know, there might be something financially. In if, uh, I'm going to give my life away to the person from whom I can benefit. There's a recurring theme in Scripture that we give our life to Jesus when we give our lives away to the people with, from whom we will gain no benefit. At least. Our elders were talking about this the other day, and, and Jay Grimes gave me a passage, like a, a, a mini book, you know, because Jay doesn't do anything in few words. He's an attorney. And so, uh, so he, <laughs> sorry, Jay, I just, sorry, all attorneys. I just need to apologize to all attorneys all the time. All right. Um, so, uh, so, you know, he gives me this, and it's awesome. It's, it's every verse of scripture that he could come up with that tells people to focus on the least, the forgotten, the left behinds, the poor, the, the hurting, the people who can't give you anything in return. It was awesome. All of them. The scripture is chocked full of it. You know how we do? Jesus came and became the least to ransom the least. We want to be like Jesus. We give our lives, lives away to the, the least. Remember the least. A third thing I thought of was this. We can give our lives away by st stop volunteering. And you may think, what are you talking about, Dave? That doesn't make any sense at all. Stop volunteering. Well, here's what I mean by that. We volunteer out of guilt. I know I should. We volunteer because we're not willing to throw our whole self into it. 
We volunteer because we're like, I have a little bit of time here. I'll throw your way and I feel good about myself because I gave that little bit of time and you should feel good because I gave it to you and you know how busy I am. I give a piece. Jesus didn't ask for a piece of your life. He asked for all of it. And to me, the word volunteer means a piece. Um, I have, a, all my kids are in band. Well, four, uh, four of the six. Kai and Livy are a little too little, although they make their own music. But they're in band. So uh, marching band came this year, and there was a mandatory parents meeting for marching band folks, parents. And, uh, and we get there, and the first thing they confessed is that they said, the only reason we said mandatory is because we knew that's the only way we'd get at least half of you here. And so, uh, and I went, oh, the volunteer plug. And, I mean, I, as soon as I sat down, I knew what it was. And sure enough, they had like computers set up, and, and it was a 35-minute guilt trip on how as parents we need to invest in marching band and help the marching band succeed and without... And, and so this whole deal, and, and people are like, I mean, you just look at them, and they're like, oh, seriously, where am I going to fit this in? And, you know, you're just looking at it and go, okay, well, I got to volunteer. And so then afterwards, they just want you to do one thing or two things. So you, you sign up for the volunteer. And I'm sitting there, and I'm looking at this and thinking, it's like metal instruments on a field, right? Like, that's what it is. Like, it's horns on grass. And, and we're putting all this time and energy for horns on grass. But this is how people view everything. This is how people view church. This is how people view kingdom work. Where can I give my time so I say I did it and done? And Jesus says, I don't want volunteers. I want your whole life. Because this isn't marching band horns on a field. This is kingdom work. This is eternity at stake. This is hurting people who God has given you a chance to change their lives and be part of him changing their lives. Jesus is the God man. I, I'm glad that Jesus didn't just go, well, hey, I, I'll give you whatever time I have. I mean, he's the God of the universe. He's kind of busy. And so, like, he probably didn't have any time left over. Jesus didn't just volunteer. Jesus gave his whole life. He's not looking for volunteers, so stop volunteering. Fourth thing, love people, not tasks. So last week we talked about uh, the, the quickest way to love like Jesus is by actually caring like Jesus. I'm a task-driven person. I, f I feel good when, like I've got a huge task list. You know, every week it takes me like Monday morning to just get my task list together for the week. And there is something that feels good about crossing something off the task list. You know what I mean? Oh, it's done. I never have to see it again. Sometimes if I do something that wasn't on my task list, I'll add it to the task list just so I can cross it out. Like, I like tasks, okay? I like the feeling of completing it. And so uh, I have to constantly tell myself people are more important than tasks. You guys remember Ryan Lenners, who, who's our intern. I tell, Ryan's a task guy, you know? I always tell him, Ryan, people are more important than tasks. I don't care if it functions perfectly. People are more important than tasks. If we're going to give our lives away, we have to remember that. We have to love people, not tasks. Well, when I was 18 years old, or 16 years old, rather, I got my driver's license. And I had a friend, Sam. And Sam was a great guy. But Sam didn't have a car, and Sam was never going to get a car. <laughs> like, I just, you could tell that. And, and so Sam would ask me for rides. And at first, I'm 16. 
I get to drive? You bet I'll give you a ride. That's awesome. And, and so at 16, I'm cruising, you know, every event we were at together, every time school got out or every function we were at together, Sam would be like, can I have a ride? Absolutely. And that's cool for about three months until you realize that you're paying for gas and time. And all of a sudden, Sam quit asking. He just showed up. Like I'd come out to my car and there's Sam sitting by my car. Hey, Dave, you're going to take me home, right? Yes. And what I realized, looking back on that, is that I liked the task until the task grew wearisome. What I really needed to do is love the people. And if I really loved Sam, I would have figured out how to help Sam plan and save and get to a point where he could have his own car. If I really loved him, I would have walked with him through that. But I liked the task for a while. Love people, not tasks. A fifth thing I want to remind you of is just came to mind for me is that we give our lives away by remembering <laughs> that giving our life away is rarely convenient. Remember, it's rarely convenient. Giving our lives away has a way of bleeding into many parts of our life. Um, I, the whole incarnation, the idea that Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, God, became human flesh. He took on this nature of a servant. The Holy Incarnation was not convenient. And giving our life away rarely is. The cross was not convenient. Is there ever a good time to die? God's going to drop things in our lap and they will rarely be convenient. They will not fit into our schedules because really, in the reality of it, is all of our schedules are way too filled as it is. When we have no margin in our life, because as Americans, we get our value from busyness. So we've chalked our schedule full. We've got all these things in our lives, and we have to make a choice. Giving your life away will not be convenient. And that leads me to the last way that came to mind to give our life away, is to remember that giving our life away takes sacrifice. Because our schedules are so filled, we're going to have to make choices. If your kids aren't in every sport, it's okay. You just need to know that right now. Parents, I give you the freedom to say no right now for the sake of teaching your children to give their lives away. If we put our kids in every single activity and in every single sport, all we're teaching them is that they rule the family and they rule our lives but they are not our master. Jesus is. It's okay to say no. Sometimes we need to show someone, show our children that someone is more important than they are. I mean, isn't, aren't we helping our kids if we say no? Aren't we helping them? Because we're saying well, with our time, we're going to put other people first. It's how we raise godly kids. We're surprised when we end up with obnoxious kids when, our, when we've allowed their whole, whole childhood to revolve around our kids. And then they get to 18 years old and they're obnoxious and we wonder, why is that? Well, all we've done is we've taught them that the world revolves around them. It's okay. And we say, we say yes to all these activities because we say, say, oh, it teaches them good things. Sports teaches these good things, and music teaches these good things, and drama teaches these good things, and the arts and the extracurriculars, and, and a job teaches them good things, and all these things teach them good things. But reality, what we've 
taught them is some pretty ugly things. I mean, I've been to Little League, right? Uh, I, I've coached. I, I know all the parents on the sideline are teaching their kids some pretty ugly things. Like, and we tell ourselves these things. Oh, I give my kid every opportunity in life, and it's for them. And reality, what we're telling them is that they don't ever have to make sacrifices because they get everything they want. Giving our lives away takes sacrifice. If we're going to give our lives away, we have to be willing to say no to some other things. We have to say no to this because I'm saying yes to the least of these. I'm saying yes to the opportunities that God drops in my path. One of the ways we do this is with money. I mean, money gets a grip of our hearts and we like to hold on to it and we like to have all the, it creates a lot of things. If you live in America, I can tell you, you have too much money. I don't care if you're under the federal poverty level, you have too much money. Compared to the world, and what Jesus is saying is, I want your whole life and money is part of that. If you give nothing to others, I can tell you you're unwilling to give your life away. You want to be great? Be a slave. Don't know a whole lot of wealthy slaves. And what I'm not saying is that wealth is wrong or money's evil. I'm not saying that at all. Money's a tool that God can use for great things. Do it. Use it. Be generous. Whether you make a lot or a little. It's just part of it. Like I said, in the in the wall, it's just part of it. It's time. It's money. It's all your resources. It's saying, God, it's all yours. Do what you want with it. Jesus wants you to give your life away. We do this by being servants and slaves. So remember, the reward is great. Remember the least. Quit volunteering. Love people. It's never convenient and it takes sacrifice. Now, okay, so here's the thing. Like, I get that there are objections, like, and there's ones that come to my mind as I'm thinking through this. Like, what about codependency, you know? What about enabling? Uh, what about overextending ourselves? And those are great points. But I think sometimes we focus on those more than we do just giving our lives away. We usually start with no. Think about it. God puts an opportunity in your path. God says, hey, uh, you know, Fred, I want you to do this and this. It dropped in your path. And we first think, well, I can't do that. I don't have the training or I don't have the time or I don't have the resources or man, that might consume my entire life and that could be terrible. And you know, someone, you know, whatever. And so what we do is we do the Christian thing and we say, we'll pray about it, right? Like, you know, I'm not saying that Pastor Jeff hasn't heard that a time or two, but you know, Pastor Jeff picks up the phone and says, hey, can you do this? And, and oh, I'll pray about that. And we know what that means. Like that means crud, he called me instead of emailing me and now I'm put on the spot and I don't know what to say. Uh, we start with no all the time. I do it. You do it. We start with God. We start with a no, and then we talk ourselves into it. How do you like it when your kids do that, right? You know, take out the trash. No, I'm playing a game on my iPad, Dad, and I can't do that. I don't like that so much. 
Mow the lawn. No, I'm too tired. Clean up your room. No, I can't because, you know, I got this like pain right here. Just, just can't, I, just can't, you know? No, I, I, I we, we had a family meeting. Like, you know, this come, went, the answer is yes. <laughs> That's what we told our children. The first answer out of your mouth is always yes. What, what if we were that way with God? What if we started with yes? What if we said yes, and then we evaluated the opportunity based on a number of other criteria? What if we left the no's up to God? You know what I mean by that? Like, we just said, our first initial response was, yes, I'll do it. And then allowed God to, if no is the right answer, or, but we just started with yes, just made a mental decision. Yes is the first answer. Um, God is looking for people who are eager to be servants of all because Jesus didn't come to be served. He came to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. All right, let me close by telling you this. The worst part of being a preacher is having to apply the sermon to your own life. It just had, God's word has a way of just infiltrating. And I wrote, I, I wrote this quote down on Tuesday when I was writing the message. I wrote this quote down. Remember, giving your life away is rarely convenient. I wrote that point down, and then I took a break because I had to get to a meeting. And then so I closed the laptop, I packed up, I headed out to the meeting. That quote is murmuring into my mind, and my wife calls me and says, Dave, did you check the email? And I said, no. And she said, well, and she explains it to me. She said, I've seen this email like six times in my inbox. There's a girl that lives down at Ruth Harbor House, and, and she's been, uh, she's a teen mom, she's pregnant, and they're trying to find a place for her to live for a couple months after she has the baby. And if she can't, she's probably going to end up at a youth emergency shelter. And, and so I've seen this like six times, and I've said, you know, but I, I don't know. It, we have to know today, and what do you think? And she told me later, she's fully expecting me to say no. And honestly, that's the first thought that came through my head. You cra- we got six kids. Are you crazy? What kind of mom wants to walk into that with a baby, first of all, and that poor woman? And, you know, and I'm thinking, like, it's just insane, and we already don't sleep. And then I went to the selfish, oh, my goodness, Kai just started sleeping like three hours a shot, and now we're going to have a scream. Oh, I, no, we can't do this. We're crazy. And then I read, giving your life away is rarely convenient. And I was like, ah! I just wanted to scream. And I said, okay, God. Okay. If we have to have a young mom who will rearrange rooms, and you know the coolest thing about it is I said, Clarissa, we should talk to our kids about this because it's a sacrifice for them too because they're going to have to give up rooms and things around. And you know what? We talked to the kids about it and they were like, absolutely, let's go get her right now because we don't want a girl on the street, a baby. And what's more awesome about it is I shout out this prayer request to our elders. Okay, guys. <laughs> you know, as I pray for us, because I don't know how this is going to work out. And in the meantime, as we're saying yes, and, and all this stuff is going on, and, and this girl finds a home with kind of a distant relative for a little while. And then, and, and they said, so just hang out there. We don't know what's happening. It might be a week or something, but it might still happen. We don't know. And in the meantime, another family that we're connected with says, hey, we'll stand up. We'll take her. We'll be part of that too. And I just think, say yes, and then let God take care of that stuff. 
And, and that's how God applied it to my life this week. What if we were the, that kind of people that just gave our life away? That we said, my life is not mine. My life is his. And if I got to give up sleep, or if I got to give up resources, or if I got to give up energy, or if, you know, I got to give up TV or kids' activities or whatever, God, it's all yours. And I just say yes. What if we gave our life away like that? Let's pray as we close. I just love how you work, God. I love how, Jesus, you gave us the Spirit. Father, you sent us the Spirit. And Holy Spirit, I love how you're opening up doors all the time. Help us to be a people that says yes. Because we can't in our strength, but we can in yours. Let us be like Jesus who came not to be served, but to serve. Let us give up our lives. It's scary, it's hard, but what if? God, would you use us as a people who live, love, and give like Jesus to bring people together for the cause of Christ? Would you use this church in great ways? In Jesus' name, amen.